Well, good morning. Thank you very much, Nicole, for reading our scripture this morning. I'm excited to share with you in the continuation of our Peter's Perspective series. We've been going through the books of Peter, and so far we've just finished 1 Peter. Today we're going to launch into 2 Peter. And in this time, we have been talking about, we have heard about Jesus being our living hope, the cornerstone of our faith. We've been talking about living holy lives, loving others, living lives in submission, through suffering, living for the will of God. And last week, Pastor Steve concluded 1 Peter talking about our call to godly leadership in all parts of our lives. And if you've missed any of those, you can find them on the website. You can go on, there's podcasts or there's live streams, um, recordings of those, and you can catch up. It's well worth it to hear the rest of the story in the Peter series. Today, we're going to launch into the second letter that Peter writes. But before that, let's just take a moment to remember who Peter is. Who is this Peter that's writing these letters? Well, Peter is a fisherman by trade, or he was, until he was called as one of the first disciples that Jesus chose to abandon his business and follow him. Peter was outspoken. He was one of Jesus' inner circle with James and John. He got to experience some things the other disciples didn't experience. And Peter was a man of action. Sometimes foolish action, but a man of action nonetheless. And we see him. He's the one who declared, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. And yet this is also Peter who denies even knowing Jesus at the crucifixion. The story goes on. We've heard some of that in the last few weeks. Jesus wonderfully restores Peter after he comes back to life. He restores Peter, gives him a chance to say to Jesus that he loves him. And Peter goes on to be filled with the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the book of Acts. And this same Peter, who sometimes has a foot in his mouth, starts to preach boldly to thousands of people and lead the charge in the early church as the gospel, the good news about Jesus spreads to Jews and Gentiles, to the insiders and to the outsiders. We'll talk more about that. So this letter of 2 Peter is written to the same audience as the first letter. They're Gentile background believers. So they're not Jews. They didn't grow up under the law of Moses. They're the outsiders, and they're somewhere in Asia Minor. When Peter writes 2 Peter, it's actually towards the end of his life, and he knows that his time is short. He refers to that. Now, Peter is later martyred in Rome for his faith, and that happens about AD 65. So these letters are being written somewhere around 30 years after Jesus was actually walking with them on earth. So it's still within their lifetime. People remembered him and had been in contact with him in relationship with him. So that's where Peter's writing from. It's almost as though this is his final challenge to this group, and it's written very passionately um, to actually set the record straight about some false teachers, and we're not getting into that part today. I don't know who gets that week. It's coming up. I'm looking forward to it, but I don't have it. It's not a long book. Peter's going to jump into some really important issues that the church is having, but first he starts with a word of encouragement, reminding them what Christ has done for them and who they are because of the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today in first or in 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. In these first two verses, it's easy for us to just skip over the greeting, say, yep, it's from Peter, and what does he have to say? And we can miss some really important little nuggets in there for ourselves. 
Simon Peter, in verse 1, a servant, and here he uses the word for slave. He knows his authority comes from his master, Jesus, and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a little phrase in there that our ears don't pick up on because we don't understand how they would have heard it. Faith as precious as ours. What does he mean? Peter, of a Jewish background, the chosen people of God, who've been longing and waiting for the Messiah to come and now has been revealed in Christ Jesus, Peter is saying to these Gentiles who were outsiders, you are not second-class citizens. Your faith that you've received is the same as our faith. It's just the same. And this is a big deal. In Roman society at the time, in the different countries and stuff, there was all sorts of levels. People were paying for prestigious Roman citizenships. You were even better if you were born that way. There was always this ranking. And Peter's saying, That's not how it is in the kingdom of God. We're on the same page here. You're not second-class citizens. And that's good news for us, because unless you're of Jewish descent, you're not either. You're a Gentile. And we are not second-class citizens in the kingdom of heaven. But we have received the same gift of faith, Peter says. He goes on in verse 2 to say that through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord... There's an abundance of grace and peace available to us through the knowledge of Jesus. And this is actually Peter's critical purpose in writing this letter. His central idea is to encourage Christians to make that knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord productive and fruitful. And we're going to talk about that a few verses down. But for a moment, I just want to go back to that context of this whole idea of what was going on in the first century church between the Jews and the Gentiles, the insiders and the outsiders, the people of the promise, God's chosen people, and the people that they had sort of stayed away from because they were unclean and unholy. In the first century church, this was a big deal. This was a hot topic. Could the good news of the gospel be received by the Gentiles, and if it was, did they have to convert and become Jews and follow the law of Moses in order for it to stick? What this was this was a really big concern. And one of the things that will help us understand is to understand a little bit about how the movement of the gospel to the Gentiles started. I've often think when I think of this, I think of Paul, right? That was where he focused his missionary journeys and everything, and he was this preacher to the Gentiles. But actually, God used Peter before Paul came along and was preaching to start his movement among the Gentile people. And we can read about that. So when we read letters like Peter and all these other letters that the apostles are writing, it's, it's their words to the churches. But if we want to see what's actually going on, the activity of the time, you go back to the book of Acts and you read the book of Acts because that tells you what they're doing, who's going where, all these types of things. It's really fascinating. And if we go about a third into the book of Acts in chapter 10, we hear this story. So here's where we are. The Holy Spirit has come at the 
as given on the day of Pentecost, and the apostles and new believers, they're seeing signs and wonders, and many Jews are deciding to follow Jesus as the Messiah, and the early church is growing and has started to experience persecution. Now Saul, who we know as Paul later, has just the chapter before um, been converted to know Jesus, but he hasn't started traveling in, in his ministry yet. And so Peter is one of the key leaders in the early church. And then in chapter 10 of Acts, we're introduced to this character, Cornelius. Who is Cornelius? He was a centurion in the Italian regiment, so the Romans. And he was a commander of up to 100 soldiers. That was an important position. He was stationed in the provincial capital of Caesarea. And here's what we know of him. It's all good. He was a devout man, even described as righteous. He was God-fearing. He was respected by all the Jews, but he wasn't a Jew. He was a Gentile. And he gave generously to the needy. He prayed regularly to God. Generally, he was what we would think of as a good person. And one day, Cornelius is praying, and he has a vision. An angel appears to him and calls him by name, says, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers, and he has seen your generosity. Now, go send some men to Joppa. You're going to find a man called Peter, Simon Peter, and he's staying at the home of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Directions and everything. The angel disappears. Cornelius doesn't waste any time. Right away, he jumps into action, calls two servants and a soldier together, tells them what to do, sends them off to Joppa to find this man, Peter. So off they go, and it's a, it's a full day or more journey to Joppa. So they're traveling. The next day, they're just arriving into Joppa, and they're about to start asking directions because they, they wouldn't go with a map or GPS. They would ask people. So do you know where this man the tanner lives, and oh, and they give you a little bit of directions, and the next person give you a little bit of directions, and eventually you'd find your way to where you were going. That's just how it worked. So they started that process, and in the meantime, the Apostle Peter is in Joppa. He's at a home, and it's lunchtime. I don't know about at your house, but at my house, 12 o'clock on the dot, little tummies have an alarm that go off, and they come running inside as though they just instinctively know what time it is. It's time for lunch. Well, lunch wasn't ready yet for Peter either. And so he's hungry. He decides to go up to the roof. I would send my kids outside. Just go outside. I'll call you when it's ready. Maybe somebody did that to Peter too. He goes upstairs and he decides to pray. So he's got two things on his mind, talking to Jesus and he's hungry. And suddenly Peter has a vision too. And he sees this sheet being lowered down from heaven and in it, Maybe it's a picnic lunch. No, it's not. There's all sorts of creepy, crawly animals in this. They're four-legged. There's reptiles. There's birds. And they're all kinds that he would recoil at. And a voice says to him, Peter, get up and eat. What? Eat? No way. I have never eaten anything unclean or impure in my life. He was a good rule follower, as every Jewish boy should be. And he thought, what is this? And the voice said, no. He, the voice said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, here's the humorous part of the story to me. Cornelius, vision, word, action. He's on the way. Peter needs some time. So the vision happens three times over exactly the same thing. Peter seems to do things in threes, um, doesn't he? So three times the same vision comes, and then it's gone. 
And suddenly, Peter's left on the roof, and he's just thinking about these things when the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, Peter, there's three men are about to show up at your doorstep, and you're supposed to go with them. Now, it doesn't tell us whether the Holy Spirit gives them a heads up that they're Gentiles. So Peter's just still trying to figure out what in the world was that all about when, knock, 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 down at the door downstairs, the three men have arrived. Peter goes down, says, I'm who you're looking for. What do you need? So he invites them in, they tell him their business, and he agrees to go with them. The next day, Peter and some of the believers from Joppa saddle up and off they go back to Caesarea. So by now, it's been three or four days since Cornelius has sent them, and he's back home preparing. He's anxious, eagerly awaiting what this Peter might have to say, but he knows it's not just for him. He's invited the whole family, all his extended relatives and close friends. The house is packed. Because whatever is important enough for an angel to come and tell you is going to happen must be important for the whole community. So there they were eagerly waiting. Peter comes in, and to me sounds very rude upon entrance. (laughs) This is what he says. He comes to the house of Cornelius, and he says, You know well, it's against our Jewish law to enter a Gentile's house. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. What a strange thing for a Jewish man to say. But here he goes into the Gentile house. I don't know how much he had prepped the other believers from Joppa, if they were shocked about all this or not. So Cornelius explains his vision, and then Peter starts to speak. And this is what he says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. And then he goes on to recount to them all about who Jesus was and what he had done and why that was so important. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, these people may have heard about Jesus in the area when he was on earth. We don't know how much they knew about him, but they didn't understand who he really was. Now, suddenly, while Peter is just speaking, the Holy Spirit comes on everyone who's listening, and they start praising God and speaking in other tongues. Peter has not even had the come-to-Jesus moment. There has been no music and no lights have dimmed. Just suddenly, the Holy Spirit moves. And the believers from Joppa are shocked to see this happened to Gentiles, to the unclean outsiders. I love stories like this. And then Peter says this. This is his response. Well, they received the Holy Spirit like us, so I guess we should baptize them. So off they go. I love stories in Acts. People hear, they believe, and they're baptized. And this is a little freebie today. Do you know there's no biblical precedent at all for delaying baptism? If you love Jesus, if you've chosen to follow him, get baptized. We'll baptize you. We'll figure out how to do it in a world pandemic. We figured out other things. We can figure out this part. I'm thinking like parking lot or something. It would be great. So that's a, that's a freebie. Back to Peter. He baptizes the whole household we're told, and here this movement among the Gentiles starts. But the news gets back to Jerusalem. The believers there who are of Jewish background say, Peter, you have some explaining to do. What are you doing just going into Gentile houses? You can't do that. That's not okay. 
And so Peter explains it in Acts 11, verse 15. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave to them the same gift that he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? So when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they were praising God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They were amazed. Here it goes. It officially, in their minds and hearts, stopped being to just the Jewish people. They realized that God's plan was for all nations. Now, for us, 2,000 years later, that's not a surprise. That's how we've heard the gospel, the good news, is that it's good news for all people. But 30 years after Jesus had been on earth, they were still grappling with the fact that it actually was for everybody. It was not just exclusively for a small group. So let's move on. This next section of verses that Peter writes are my favorite from today's passage, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his own glory and goodness, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you might participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires." So our first major point, we're only going to do two major points today. I don't know why there has to be three, so I'm just doing two. Our first major point is God's grace to us in Christ results in godliness. What have we received through his divine power? Peter's encouraging these Christians that it's not enough to just have a relationship with God or feel, have uh, favorable feelings towards God, but they also need to know some very specific things about him namely his character, what he's done, what he requires of us. Who is this? Cornelius was praying to God. Did he understand who he was praying to? I don't know if he did, because he had not yet understood that Jesus was the revelation of God's character to them. So he was, he was in between, and suddenly he hears with, about Jesus, and it clicks. So what is this character of God? who called us by his own glory and goodness. There's just so much rich language in here. You know, for an outsider to be restored into a right relationship with a holy God, it required a seemingly impossible act. And this could only be accomplished by one who was morally perfect and in perfect relationship with the Father. Christ calls us by his own goodness because he's both those things. In verse 4, it says, through God's grace, we can participate in God's divine nature. What is this divine nature? Does that mean we become like little gods? No, it doesn't. But it means that we imitate his character, that he grows in us the character to be more and more like Jesus. 
we come to share in those essential qualities. And Peter's going to outline what some of those are for us in the following verses. And then there's this little reference to escaping the corruption of the world. And that just gives us one more little clue that he's talking to a Gentile background believers that they had more experience in this idea of a corrupt world. Don't we all? I have yet to have a conversation with anybody these days who believes they're living in a perfect world. Have you? I think we might be able to agree that our world is corrupt and broken. And that's what he was addressing here as well. So these opening few verses in 2 Peter show us God's glorious role in our lives. And then they're followed with some action steps that we must deliberately take in response to the gift we have received. My kids received a gift this year. They were here at the 9 o'clock to hear the story. Grandpa and Grandma bought them a zip line for the backyard. And boy, we did not know at Christmas how helpful that was going to be this summer. So they were thrilled. And Grandpa came over this summer and worked hard to install this 50-foot zip line from the tree to to the climber. It was a very exciting day when it was finally ready to be used. It took some courage to be the first one to step off that platform and zip down the yard. It seemed a little terrifying, but after they tried it, they were thrilled, and they, it, be, it became their favorite thing to do. Opening the zipline in a box was very exciting at Christmas, and let me tell you, all their friends knew what they had, and they anticipated it for months that this was going to happen. When was it going to happen? They imagined themselves zipping down that line, all these things. But until they actually, until we opened it and we installed it and it was running, they couldn't really experience its real purpose. And we often hear about God's grace being a gift to us, his salvation, a gift to us. It's true. His great and precious promises that Peter writes about, we can be genuinely grateful for them. We can imagine how our lives might be changed because of them. But if we never step out in response to our knowledge of him and his great promises, then we'll just be like the kids, ooing and aahing over a, bar, over a zip line in a box, which isn't nearly as amazing as a zip line that's working as it should, is it? So salvation is yours, but we also have a response to make as he cultivates his character in our lives. So let's look at our response, and this comes in verses 5 on. And if you're writing points, that first one was that God's grace to us in Christ results in godliness. And the second one, we're already there. Faith leads to growth. This is our lifelong response. For this very reason, verse 5, because God has given us all we need by his divine power, he stated that already, for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins." Isn't it wonderful? He starts with, for this very reason, because of God has given us everything we need by his divine powerful, by his divine power. Isn't it wonderful that spiritual maturity begins with God's provision? I think that's amazing. He's given us what we need through his power to live godly lives, lives of worship. Now, there's a little phrase in here that we can trip up on, and it says, make every effort to add to your faith, 
Now again, maybe you're a little legalistic. Maybe you love lists. I like making lists and checking things off. But we can, if we're not careful, we can see this list of how to work your way to heaven, how to gain points with God. That's not what Peter's writing. And I love how the New Living Translation translates verse 5. It says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with, and then goes on with the list. Peter's emphasizing the importance of spiritual growth here, but we, we also have to realize there's, there's this pull and tug here because we hear God's provided everything we need, but then there's this big list of all this stuff we're supposed to do. What is it? Is God doing it or do, are we working on it? I don't get it. Well, maybe this will help. Picture it like this. So picture a dot. My fist will be the dot here. This is a one-time, once-and-for-all event of our redemption, that is, our salvation through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his coming back to life, his triumph over darkness that brought us to light. This was a one-time point in time, a done deal, and we had no active role in that event, did we? It happened, and it was offered to us as a gift of grace. So here's the dot. Now picture from this dot a line that's coming out from it with an arrow and goes this way. This line, this is called our sanctification. It's a big word for the process by which God makes us holy to make us more like his son Jesus. Now this is not a one-time event like the dot, and it's a lifelong process of spiritual growth and maturity. And unlike this act of redemption, we actually have a very active role to play in this part, in the process of becoming more like Christ, because this is where we have the choice to resist his work in us or to cooperate and respond with his work in us as he grows us through our lifetime. So this is where we're going to recognize opportunities that he gives us in everyday life to submit our hearts to him and walk in obedience. There's two things happening here. So if you feel a a pull and a tug. It's true. It's there. There's something that he's doing, and there's something that we're cooperating with him in. We also need to note that Peter actually does emphasize the human responsibility part a lot because of what he's going to write about later and address these false teachers who are becoming lax about holiness. So he is parking there for a reason. We're coming to a big list. The order of the list is actually not important. Um, Peter's writing in a way that was common to the time to do with moral lists. They had a way of doing that. And the order is not important. What is important is that they're increasing simultaneously. Now, I'm not much of a gardener. Maybe you are. But this year I decided, well, we'd plant a few things just for the kids to have something else in the backyard to watch as we were stuck at home. And in a vegetable garden... I know this much. We don't plant one plant, tend it, water it, care for it, watch it grow, wait for it to produce, eat that person, and then decide, oh, time to plant the next plant and go on like this. Our Canadian summers would never get us through a whole salad, would they? We couldn't do it that way. We plant the whole garden. We tend the whole garden at once. They're not sprouting up at the same time. They grow at different speeds. They produce at different times. Some of them produce constantly, our strawberry plant, all summer. Some of them, like the giant pumpkin plant that's taking over the box, we're just waiting for the grand product at the end. That thing went from like one inch one week to almost a foot the next week. 
They're all growing at the same time. Just like these things, they're all growing at the same time. And just like in a garden, I can give really good little pep talks to my tomato plants and say, I need two tomatoes this week, and next week I want four, and by the next week, half a dozen. Is that going to change the production of that plant? No. Am I doing the things it needs? Am I watering it? Is it getting sunlight? Am I pulling the weeds? Those things. But I can't actually control its production. I have to trust that it was a good seed and that it grew because that's what good seeds do. In the same way, we're responsible to keep the condition of our hearts right for growth in these areas that Peter's outlining. As we imitate God's character, we work alongside him. We cooperate with him, being ever responsive as these things are growing in our spiritual maturity and character. This is how we participate in his divine nature. So let's look at the list. What is growing in this garden? This is not a list of things that we must do in order to be accepted by God. It's a list of the areas he wants to grow us in as we respond to his love and his divine power, keeping that in mind. Number one, faith. Don't miss that one. It's easy to read, add to your faith and skip to goodness, but faith is the start of the list. Add to your faith. That's the foundation of all of this, faith in Christ. Then he says, goodness, moral excellence, or virtue. Christ calls us by his own goodness. Do you see that? It's a reflection of his character. Knowledge. Now, we just read about the knowledge of him who called us. So he's not saying just become really generally knowledgeable about the world around you. That's not the kind of knowledge he's talking about. He's saying grow in the knowledge of Christ, getting to know him more. And part of that is growing in the ability to discern God's will and then position our life In response to that, in line with his will, how do we do that? We read his word in the Bible. We can feast on it. We can learn about him. We can hear from him in that way. We talk to him and we listen for his Holy Spirit. That's praying. And that knowledge we read in verse 2, that knowledge of Christ, that brings us great peace and grace. And I think that, boy, do we need that in this season that we're in. The fourth one, self-control. It enables believers to avoid falling prey to temptations that are so unavoidable in the world. And once again, Peter's hinting at what's to come because he's going to talk about some things that self-control's the answer to later in his, in his letter. Perseverance, number five, or patient endurance is how some translate it. I think this is the theme for 2020, don't you? Perseverance, patient endurance. To me, it sounds like it. The ability to bear up under trial. And, you know, there was a real thread in the early church of trials and persecution. And this, I just heard an echo in this when I read it, of God's patience. And it's actually later in the same letter, um, in chapter 3, verse 9. And Peter writes this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Patient endurance. Six, godliness. The Greek words for godliness, I love this, mean good worship. A life of good worship, seeing our whole life as an act of worship to him. Our decisions, our words, our actions, our thoughts. And then these last two, they sort of think, well, what's the difference between mutual affection and love? Isn't That's a funny thing to say. Well, here's sort of the difference. 
Mutual affection, which might also read, you might have read it, brotherly kindness. It's the love expressed between believers, between Christians. So Peter's saying, yes, show kindness to your fellow believers, but, and then he adds number eight, love. Love is for everyone, devotion to the well-being of others, regardless of their response to you. And he's saying, don't just love the other believers. Love even the outsiders, just as you yourself have been outsiders. So his divine power has given us everything we need, these seeds for a godly life, seeds for a life of good worship. Now, we said the order wasn't important. It's not. But it is interesting to notice that it starts, he starts the list with faith, which is like the foundation, the good soil for it all to happen. And he wraps it up with love, which Paul in Colossians describes as love is the, the glue almost that binds all these things together in perfect unity. Peter goes on to say, have these things in increasing measure. So it's not finish this one, check, go on to the next one. Increasing measure, they're ever growing. Um, it, the good news is it suggests there's no mastery of each one of them on this side of heaven. But we want to see them increasing measure. We see this in Peter's life. If you read the life of Peter through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, and then you read his letters, you realize, wow, this guy has come a long way. Well, that's the work of grace in his life. He didn't have it in his plan to go speak to Gentiles about Jesus. And, but he grew as God uh, guided him into those challenges. And then the last verses here, they kind of get into all the negative stuff. We were talking about this in our staff devotions this week. We read this passage, and it was like, oh, there was all that good stuff. Now here's all that negative stuff. Verses 8 and 9, it says, have all these things in increasing measure so that you don't end up like this, so that they will keep you from being ineffective or idle and unproductive without fruit. And it says, whoever does not have these qualities is nearsighted, I take a little offense to that because I do wear glasses, and blind, but it's not talking about blind like we would think, it. it's, it's not a natural blindness, it's talking about being willfully blind, like someone who intentionally has closed their eyes to the truth. Peter just inserts these things in, he's hinting, there are some people out there who fit this bill that I'm going to talk about later, I'm not, but Peter will when he talks about the leaders, the false leaders. So, of course, we look at this list, we say, well, we don't want to be ineffective, we don't want to be unproductive, or nearsighted, or blind. So, let's cooperate with God's development of our character. And he wraps it all up in verses 10 and 11 with this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort, there's that phrase again, to confirm your calling and election For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's how I would simply state what he's getting at here. God has drawn you to himself. Now, be sure that your behavior reflects and confirms your relationship with God. God has drawn us to himself Let's make sure our behavior reflects and confirms that relationship. Act like his child, and others will see the family resemblance, and we can look forward to a rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. So we've talked about God's grace 
to us in Christ results in godliness. We've been given so much by his divine power through Jesus Christ. And secondly, that faith leads to growth, and this is a lifelong response to him. So I hope that as you read 2 Peter, that you don't feel an ugh, oh, here's all this stuff I need to do, but that you feel an excitement, that God's spirit is at work in you, wanting to grow and mature you to become more like his son Jesus. Maybe, as you've listened today, whether you're here or maybe you're at home, and you've sort of been like Cornelius. You thought, well, I was doing all the things. I know that there's a God, and I talk to him. I say prayers, and I've been good to other people. I've been generous and kind. But you've never experienced this divine power that we have through Jesus Christ If that's you, today could be the day that you shift, just like Cornelius and his family did, from being good people to being followers of Jesus, who have his divine power, his Holy Spirit living at work in you. If that's you, I want to pray with you this morning, and there's no magic words to this, but it's just a moment for us to focus our hearts and respond to him. So if that's you, would you pray this with me? Father, thank you that you love me and you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin and shame. I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now I want to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you help me do that? Maybe you don't see yourself in Cornelius, but maybe when you get to that list, you just know inside, I just, I kind of am a little legalistic about things, and I kind of, if I see a list, I just figure I better start working hard on the list to prove that I'm good enough, worthy enough for God to love me. Maybe you've been trying to work your way for some good points in his books. Can I pray with you today? I think all of us, to a certain degree, will lean towards this. Can we pray that a prayer of just release to cooperate, agreement to cooperate with him in his work in us, let him do the growing, we can stop striving and just be responding to his work in us? Would you pray with me? And we'll close with this. Dear Father, I confess that I've been trying to earn my way into your good books, into heaven. I repent of my own efforts, and I receive your forgiveness. Today, I choose that I will cooperate with you as you grow me to be more like Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your divine power that has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Thank you that you are the one who started this good work and that you are causing the growth. We just want to come alongside, respond each day as we feel you nudging us in each direction. We want to grow to become more like your son, Jesus. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.